This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. We're continuing on our study on David. We've been covering from the time that he was anointed as a young man by Samuel and then, of course, killing Goliath and then being able to be in the palace as a musician for Saul. And then, of course, we found out that he was making, was going to be made king eventually. And uh, he, he does some great things. He conquers many battles. He gets the ark back to Jerusalem. God gave him a lot of special promises. But we found out last week that he messed up big time, didn't he? He certainly did. He, of course, uh, got in trouble with Bathsheba. And we were kind of at the end of what was taking place with that last week. And we, we saw some lessons that we learned from what he did, and we'll continue to keep that train of thought as we continue on down. But let's, let's pick up at 2 Samuel chapter 11. In verse number 14, because as you know, one thing led to another. So many times, that's like, that's what happens when we get into sin. If we don't be careful, if we don't get it under the blood, if we don't confess that sin, get rid of it, one thing can lead to another thing. And it certainly did with him. So, He's in the middle of letting his brain go over time, trying to figure out how he's going to cover this up, how he's going to get rid of everything that he can of what he's done, and that no one will find out about it. So we find in verse number 14, it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Of course, Uriah being the husband of Bathsheba a great warrior, one of his number one men fighting for him. And he, typed, he gets this letter written out, and he wrote the letter, and in the letter was the message of verse 15, Sit ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. What a message. In other words, get him out there. And then you pull back. You just let him out there fight. You put him in the hottest part of the forefront of it. And David knew what was going to take place. Verse 16, it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. So what was David's motive? What was, what was his whole purpose here? His refusal to repent of the adultery. I mean, he, he could have just gone ahead and got, gotten that taken care of when it happened. But he knew that she was pregnant. She was going to have a baby. That already led to something else. So knowing that his sin would be made known, David arranged to have this great soldier 
this loyal soldier, Uriah, killed. So the morning after his last plan failed, David sends the letter by <laughs> Uriah's taking his own death letter. And he placed, is being placed on the forefront of the lines where the fighting's the worst. You know what? Joab knew this too. He knew that Uriah wouldn't say, oh, wait a minute, this is too, this is too much battle here. It's too, it's too hot of a battle. No, Uriah says, hey, you want me to go? I'm going. I'm going to do it. That's who he was. But David did not want anyone to know what he had done, and he would, didn't want to ruin his reputation. He didn't want to lose his power, his prestige, his possessions, his position. He didn't want to lose none of that. And it often makes me wonder, and I think it should, we should give it a thought tonight, as we accomplish things and do things in our lifetime, do we stop and say, well, what is my motive for doing that? What, what is the, the, the pure, is it a pure motive for what I'm going to do? It, it doesn't have to be a sin. I mean, just doing something for the Lord, are we really doing it for the Lord? Is, is, is that the motive behind it? I think we can get caught up in selfish motives sometimes. Or maybe we got something else in mind altogether. If I do this, then I know this will happen. So 1 Corinthians 10.31 is a good verse to remember. Whether therefore you eat or drink, or look at this, whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of yourself. Is that what the Scripture says? <laughs> no. So if we're doing these things, do all for the glory of God. Is God going to get the glory out of what I'm, I'm doing here? Is He going to get the praise? Is He going to be lifted up? So, a good little lesson there. Let's continue on in verse number 18 of the same chapter. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning war. Pay attention to the conversations here. And charged the messenger. So he's got a messenger sending to David. When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approach ye so nigh unto the city, when ye did fight, know ye not that ye would they would shoot from the wall. So he, he's thinking, so is David going to say, well, why have you got these soldiers right up next to the wall where these archers can shoot right down on them? Who smote Abimelech the son of Jerubbashath? Did not a woman cast a piece of millstone upon him from the wall that he died in, in Thebes? Why went ye nigh the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So he's saying, if, if David comes back with this story, then remind him that the, that the Hittite is dead. So he said that, that's going to satisfy him. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us. They came out into us into the field, and we were upon them even until the entering of the gate. He's given all the details of the war. 
and the shooters shot from the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as the other. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. Notice David didn't step back and say, oh my goodness, Uriah's dead? Oh my goodness, other, other good guys have died too? No, he said, well, I don't want you to be upset about this. I mean, it's battle. We're going to die. Men are going to die. Things are going to happen. Verse 26, and when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to the house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done, notice that, displeased the Lord. Whenever we displease the Lord, that's not good. It's not good to get on the bad side of the Lord. So his influence here, Joab did exactly what David asked him to do. He placed Uriah near the gate of the city where the fighting would be the worst. And it appeared to be like a, a tactical mistake here on Joab's part. So he began to detail everything that took place. The Ammonites attacked because Joab's men were close. The Israelites pushed back to the gate of the city. I mean, there were good men that were killed by the archers. So Joab knew David understood warfare. I mean, he had fought many battles. And that he might become upset with the, how the things went. Death of good men. But the slain soldiers may have been out of place, but it was for a reason. And Uriah was with them. So if David became angry, he knew that this would calm him down. Hey, you wanted Uriah dead. It's taken care of. It's done. So he followed David in that direction. So as David received this, this message, he wasn't concerned about who died. He wasn't concerned about the wartime message. He said, hey, it's war, it happens. So, you know, you would think at this point David should have been upset over the loss even of the good men, even though he wanted Uriah dead. Well, man, I hated to lose these other men. No. David encouraged Joab to continue in the battle and take the city. So, you may think it's strange at the end of that latter scripture that we read that when Bathsheba was informed that her husband was dead, he mourned, she mourned for his loss, and that mourning would have normally been about seven days. And there's no indication that she knew this whole plan. There's no indication she knew that David was behind getting her husband killed. None, none of that. But after her time of mourning, Bathsheba 
became David's wife. He said, well, wouldn't that convenient? <laughs> well, yes and no, because it was not unusual for a king to take in a wife of a soldier that had died in battle. Sometimes he would, she, he would do that. That's why many, they had so many wives many times. It was viewed as a charitable, a charitable thing. He would provide provision for that, for that wife, protection for that wife. But in this case, it was one more step to hide that adultery, wasn't it? I'll just take her in. She'll be my wife. David appeared to be successful, but he wasn't. His sin remained unknown to many people, but it didn't remain unknown to God. So he married her. And his walk with God, David, that verse, that end of that verse, it displeased the Lord. His sin might have been hidden from the world, as you would think, but it wasn't hidden from God. He committed adultery, he committed murder, although he didn't kill Uriah with his own hands, no. But the Lord's going to hold him accountable for the death of Uriah. And David has been remembered for many wonderful things. But you know what? He's remembered for this sin, isn't he? He's remembered for it. So I want to look at some quick lessons here that I think we can learn from this thing of David and what, what road that he took. First of all, beware of idleness. You remember last week we talked about when it was the time when kings go to battle, but David stayed at home and was idle, was just walking around, looking around, instead of being in the battle. I found an interesting verses in Proverbs 24, in verse number 30 through 34. It says, I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of a man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles and covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to sleep, so shall the poverty come as one that travaileth, and they thy want as an armed man. What's the spiritual meaning in those verses? He recognized when he came by this field, it once was a field well taken care of. It once was a place that had a nice vineyard and everything was in order. But now he says, I passed by this vineyard now and I notice everything's grown over. It, it warns us not to allow the weeds of evil things to grow over in our life. You know, we can be busy, busy, busy for the Lord, but if we get slothful, if we get lazy, if we get idle, those weeds of the evil things of the devil can come in. Just like our, our gardens we plant, if we just let them go, I mean, we can pay, have the most beautiful garden, but if we decide just let it go, what's going to happen? We eat up with weeds. And you're going to go out there and say, forget it. I can't, I can't get all these weeds out. But if we stayed on top of it all the time, a little bit each day, 
Spiritually, don't we need to be in the Word a little bit each day? We need to be talking to the Lord a little bit each day. We need to keep those things. And I like what it says here that this wall, he said here the wall, the stone wall was broken down. It reminds me of Job 1.10. Do you think God keeps a hedge or a wall around us sometimes? Remember old Job? Job chapter 1, verse number 10. Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. The devil said, you need to break that wall down, that hedge down so I can get to him. And God did it. He let that happen for a reason. I firmly believe God has His protective angels around us. I pray for it every day. I pray for God's protection to be around. We probably never know how close we would have come to something had not been for God. You know, so many times, I, I just passed through that intersection and then I turned around the street and came back and there's a big accident right there. I'm thinking, man, I'd have just been that much later. Or earlier. So don't let the wall crumble. Don't let the weeds build up in our life. Beware of idleness. Number two, beware of letting eyes and mind dwell on sinful things. Our eyes, our mind. Isaiah 26.3 Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. The devil would love to keep our mind off of God, off of things that we need to be on. But if we'll, we'll wake up of a day and say, Lord, keep my mind, keep my eyes, keep everything I got going in the right direction. Help me today. I need your help. Number three, never think that unconfessed sin can be covered up. The good thing about sin if you can find a good thing about it, is that there is forgiveness for sin. 1 John 1, 9, doesn't it? If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to do the talking to the Lord. We have to, we have to lay it on Him. Because He died for that sin. So, don't think that it will be covered. David thought it Hey, I'll just cover this up with one thing after another thing after another thing. But it's, it's costing him and going to cost him. And then number four, beware of thinking it can't happen to me. There are a lot of people who think that. Oh, I've been saved for 40 years. It can't have nothing happen to me. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth. What? Take heed, least he fall. We, we get to that point, God, you know what? I've got it. i got this thing under control. I mean, I, I really don't need to talk to you about it today. I just got it. I got it going on. <laughs> you have no idea what could come your way and my way. Even the strongest person can easily slip. You know, we, we've seen it happen in the news. We've seen it happen 
to other people around us. We've seen it happen to, to preachers. We've seen it happen to teachers. We've seen it happen to all kind of people that are in position. Politicians. I mean, over and over, it just goes on and on. And it just ruins their testimony, ruins their life when things happen like that. But at any moment, at any hour, any Christian anywhere can be caught off guard. And we can fail God. You know, we, we think we, we, we're doing exactly what God wants us to do, but sometimes we fail God. We, I know that. I know I do. I fail Him sometimes. And I, I hate that when I fail God. But I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit lets me know that and says, hey, you can get back on track again. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's look at some of the things that are happening here to this situation. Verse number 1, The Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, one was rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his, own, lay in his bosom and was, was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man. He spared to take his own flock of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. He's telling this story, and David's getting madder by the minute. Isn't it amazing how he could just see a wrong? You know, we can, we can many times see where someone else is doing wrong, but we don't see ourselves, do we? David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said, said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Oh, boy. <laughs> I wonder how Nathan felt he had to deliver this message. But Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover given unto thee such and such thing. I mean, he could just go on and on what he would have blessed him with. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in this sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall not depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, 
and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. David was spared right there. God spared him. He, he could have just said, you're going to die. It's, it's going to be you, buddy. You're gone. The words of Nathan the prophet struck David to the heart. How did it affect David? What did he do about that? Let's read David's repentant prayer. Let's see how it really did hit him. Psalm 51 is his repentant prayer. This is to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him and after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. I'm glad he admitted that. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin. My mother did conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto me. He's already said, I'm going to help other people from going down the same path that I'm going down. If you'll do these things, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to stand up. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou desirest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. He says, it's not about me getting over here and doing a sacrifice before you. It's not about that at all. But he says, I realize it's totally different now. It's about my spirit. It's about me knowing what I've done and my broken heart because of what I've done. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and a whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon the altar. So he said, I'm going to get my heart straight first. 
I'm going to get my life with you straight first, and then I will offer a burnt offering to you. I say David was really done it the right way. He might have messed up royally, but he confessed royally too. He did it the right way he should have. And as a result of, of his confession and of his sin and of his plea for mercy, you know what God did? He lifted that portion of David's angry decree. As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. That's what it could have been and should have been when we think about it. You know, I, I guess that kind of speaks to my heart that, that we are not to judge people about what they've done and say that there's no hope for them. Because if David can confess like he did and God can forgive him and spare his life, and God can do the same thing for us. And those people that we see that fall into such sin, instead of laughing at them and pointing fingers at them, we ought to pray that they'll do what David did and confess that sin. David himself wouldn't die, but David sure going to reap. It's going to reap. And I believe the wages of sin continue to pay bitter dividends. They did for David for many years. And we have just a little time left, but 2 Samuel chapter 12, picking up at verse number 14. What about that child that was born from Bathsheba? That child died. Verse 14, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast been given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child. David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. I, I, I understand what David did. Even though he knew he had done wrong, I understand he didn't, he didn't want this child to die. And he besought God all night. The elders of the house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? They were scared to tell him that. But when David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth, washed himself, anointed himself, changed his apparel, came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, when he required, and when he required, they set bread before him and he did eat. He'd been without food seven days. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive, but when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. They didn't understand. 
And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? You see, he said, there's hope as long as I see the child alive. God could still do something here. Isn't that the truth in our own life? There's always hope in God. We, we may have gotten that news from the doctor, but hey, while, while we're still living, God can still do something. It's his time, and it's whatever the Lord wants to do. But now he's dead, and wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? <laughs> I like this. He said, no, I shall go to him, for he shall not return to me. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her, and she bare a son and called his name, guess who? Solomon. And look at this. And the Lord loved him. The Lord loved him. But the Lord required one, didn't he? All because of David. So in your, in your theme there of timeline, David's life, we're down to Solomon born. Solomon born. Well, it ain't going to stop. David still got some dividends. Still got some stuff to deal with. Best thing for us to do is stay on the right path, isn't it? <laughs> I don't want to get on the Lord's bad side. I don't want to be dis displeased Him. Well, we'll stop there tonight. That's a good, been a good study, isn't it? I've enjoyed teaching it. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.